Hi everyone, I'm Amelia Quint, and you're listening to Bad Astrologers, where we take a cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological look at the heavens. As always, this independent production is powered by our Patreon, where you can show your support in exchange for behind-the-scenes magic, like the exclusive horoscopes and forecasts, as well as access to our library of bonus episodes, which happens to include the Stellar School self-paced course on the planets and house systems. If that sounds like your cup of tea, head over to patreon.com badastro and join us. You can also cast a spell on the almighty algorithm by leaving us a positive review on iTunes so more mystically-minded people can find and fall in love with what we do here. Or just tell a friend. You know, the one who's always asking whether Mercury is retrograde or what in the sky is making everything feel this way. It might just become their new favorite listen. Also, I love hearing from you, so if you aren't already following the show at Bad Astrologers on Instagram and Twitter, what are you waiting for? You can also follow me at AmeliaQuint underscore on Instagram or just at AmeliaQuint on Twitter and, yes, TikTok, which has been unexpectedly and incredibly fun. Also, if you have any questions you'd like to hear answered on the show, you can email them to badastrologers at gmail.com. Or if you want a more in-depth, one-on-one consultation to plan out a big transition in your life or just get some direction, you can book a reading with me to get your cosmic bearings. Head over to ameliaquint.com book dash a dash reading to make it happen. Okay, that was a lot. Now, on to the episode. Earlier this week, Venus and Mars aligned at zero degrees Aquarius, the second of two exact alignments that brought sizzle and spice to our new year. It's one part pleasure and one part pain in the ass, and all around confusing to navigate. Enter Steph Koifman, aka Lady Kazemi. She's the astrologer formerly known as the Daily Hunch, and you may recognize her from her role as regular contributor to the Chani app. She's got a distinct and evocative writing voice that I love, and always knows just the right reference to explain what's happening in the stars. In our chat, we delve deep into what it means when Venus meets Mars, pulling from our favorite pop culture influences like Twin Peaks and The Witcher. Also, we bond over our eerily similar birth charts since we were born just a few months apart, and over the audacious optimism of our shared benefic influences. She's a Cancer with a Taurus moon and Libra rising, and her chart ruler Venus comes through strong. But my favorite part of this conversation is that Steph and I work in very different traditions and don't agree on everything, and it was so much fun. This kind of juicy dialogue has been so lacking in the astrology community for ages, and I feel honored that she is willing to go to those places with me. We both left excited and seen and hopeful, and it was unbelievably refreshing. She is brilliant, and I can't recommend her work highly enough. Now, you know what to do. Sit back, relax, shake out your shoulders, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, and let's start the show. Hello, Steph. Thank you for joining me on Bad Astrologers today. Hi, thank you so much for asking me to be here. I'm so excited. I was going to say, or should I say Lady Kazemi? Mm-hmm. I'm so really? excited for you. Thank you. Um, yeah. It's been kind of a long time coming. Like this change has been sort of brewing in my mind for a while. Um, And then, you know, I kind of like settled in over the winter to work on my website and sort of make it happen. Okay. Um, So I I was thinking about the fact that you sort of rebranded or were reborn from the daily hunch into being Lady Kazemi, which is an excellent name, by the way. It sounds more like a superhero than like an astrologer name. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's kind of why I liked it better than some of the more like flowery sounding ones I was considering. I was going to say, were there any that you looked at and that didn't make the cut? You don't have to tell them here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it came down to two at the end, and it was either going to be that one or um, Venus in verse. Oh, that's so beautiful. Okay, I'm obsessed. I was thinking (laughs) about that because I noticed that we both have these um, mercurial Venuses. So Mm -hmm. I got Venus in Virgo, and you have this amazing Venus in Gemini conjunct Mercury in domicile. 
And I love the references on your website to like making an ancient language legible and Mm -hmm. knowing the code of your sort of user experience. Um, So I'm wondering like how has having a a mercurial Venus shaped the way that you communicate in your astrology practice or daily life? Um, I think that maybe one of the things that I hear over and over again about, I guess, the way that um, I contribute to the overall, like, community or um, body of work that's out there is that, like, um, my, it's, like, the way that I write, like, the my choice of words has a way of kind of, like, um, enchanting people or enthralling people. Um, and so I, I feel like, you know, I've heard the term, like, sky poet, used by some. Um, oh, I so, love that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's fantastic. And I think you're absolutely a sky poet. One of the things that I love most about your work is that you're able to come up with these images and turns of phrase that make the current astrology something that's actually felt and not just like, not even necessarily as ther- ethereal, but like a theoretical concept, right? Like we can throw keywords at it all day, but you're mm-hmm. able to really bring it in and make it make sense. So thank um, you so much. I want to backtrack for a second because I want to ask you the traditional bad astro question, which is um, what's your earliest memory of being drawn to the spiritual, whether that's astrology or tarot or something else? Ooh. Well, I guess if we're um, going to zoom out and consider anything spiritual, I did have a phase, like, I think a lot of people have a phase at, like, age 11, where they try to be witches with their best friend. I don't know if oh, that's absolutely. everyone. Or just me. <laughs> or just, like, people who tend to be drawn to this kind of thing in adulthood. Um, but, yeah, no, my best friend and I in fifth grade had, a, like, a, you know, at the time it was like, we didn't know that like, there was like different kinds of witchcraft besides Wiccanism. Um, right. So we we printed out all these spells from the internet and- um, Oh boy, I can only imagine <laughs> how that went, okay. <laughs> yeah, but um, astrology, I would say astrology found me towards the end of high school. Um, okay. Yeah, one of my good friends had uh, do you know the book, The Secret Language of Birthdays? I sure do. It has that very specific, like, painting on the front. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that book provided, like, hours of entertainment. And I think that was also the first time that I read anything about my astrology that actually seemed specifically accurate and not just, like, you know, my grandma, when I was younger, would read me, newspaper like, newspaper horoscopes, and I would be like, cool, thanks, grandma. But <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was thinking I was going to ask you about magic or witchcraft, even though I wasn't sure if that was your lane, because I noticed that you have this really, really cool Pisces North Node conjunct asteroid Hecate. Mm. And I've done a lot of research around what I like to call the witch asteroids. And I feel like people that have that in what I would call a prominent placement like you do, it's just the the witch current comes through so there it is um you're not wrong and also um when i found out that i had that asteroid conjunct my north node i was kind of mind blown because i just started a hecate practice oh um, <gasps> really yeah how cool yeah i so love when it becomes that literal right you get yeah. that like very specific affirmation from the universe mm-hmm So I'm curious about when did it become more of, I want to shape shift and morph this into a career path or consultation practice from I'm interested in this book of birthdays? Um, Actually, that was my nodal reversal. Ooh, of course it was. (laughs) Yeah, no, um, it was like, yeah, around age 27, around that Mm -hmm. time. And it was funny because I kind of mentioned this a little bit in, um, you know, I I guess like when I did my big like new name reveal, I kind of touched on the process that I'd gone through to get here. And basically, you know, at the time that I was pivoting, I didn't realize that's what I was doing necessarily. Um, 
Yeah, like I, I didn't get into um, professional astrology thinking I'm going to be a consulting astrologer and this is going right. to be like my main thing. Um, I created uh, basically like a personalized transit report subscription service and it was kind of like supposed to be like an app type of thing. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, this, this is like a cool thing. Like, you know, I can have this and then do my journalism. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> And it, it kind of ended up being the opposite. So, I love hearing that as a story, um, as your story, because I feel like there is now, and I think it's a, a really wonderful thing that so many people they they want to be astrologers. They're like, how how do I make this my path? And I think a lot of us it started around, um, you know, a little bit earlier. It was I was on a similar journey as you. I was also having a nodal transit. I was having um, Neptune on my north node. It'll do it to you. Um, And I had no grand designs on doing any sort of like astrological career. I just really enjoyed it. And I really wanted to find other people. I wanted to find that community of people who could speak that language. And it you know, nodal transits sometimes are bigger than you in a way that ends up being really beautiful. So I'm so glad that you ended up sharing this with everyone. And I'm glad that you did too. And that's honestly like one of the things that I also could not have anticipated at the time because, um, you know, at the time that I was kind of like creating these ideas and plans, I don't think I knew that there was like this really cool community I was going to find or that, you know, astrology was going to be super popular on the internet. Um, and that like pretty soon that there was going to be like so many different kinds of apps and, you know, I guess like, yeah, like the younger people sort of came up and yeah, it's been incredible seeing it being infused with so much new life. I mean, part of the reason why I started, um, you know, an astrology, I guess you would call it an astrology blog and an astrology online platform. Do we still have blogs? Um, <laughs> is that I live down in South Carolina and people had sort of found out that this was something that I did and some folks weren't very comfortable with that. So to Ooh. me, the idea of, um, I remember recently like going into an Urban Outfitters, there was like astrology stuff everywhere, even here. And it just very out of body experience, you know? I know what you mean. I mean, not in the sense that, um, you know, I guess I spent the last, you know, I've been in New York City now for 10 years. Um, Before that, I was in Boston. So I don't think I was ever really in an environment where I would experience too much of that kind of um, disapproval. Not not disapproval from like the religious people, but disapproval from like the very um, like materialist sciencey people. Ooh, and I feel like that can be just as rough. Um, and it, I, I see that flaring up on Twitter all the time, and I'm just like, let's not, let's not engage <laughs> in Twitter battles. Um, but maybe that's our shared um, Mars and Pisces, which I feel like I would be remiss if we didn't talk about. Yeah, um, we shared our birth charts before this recording. Yeah. Um, and Amelia and I both have Mars at the last degrees of Pisces. So shout out to the donkey deck in Mars. Absolutely. Yeah, yours at 27 degrees, mine at 29. And, you know, I really haven't met very many other Mars and Pisces people. I don't know why they just haven't been in my orbit. So I'm so curious, like, how do you experience being a Mars and Pisces? How does it affect what motivates you or what your go to strategy is? Um, that's a really great question. Because sometimes I sometimes I'm not even completely sure myself. But I do think that um, I tend to get there. There is that element of like the being moved by other people's suffering and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. sort of getting angry on other people's behalf. Um, and so I guess I guess what motivates me to fight is you know the the suffering or um, injustices that affect other people. Um, and also, I think that, you know, there is kind of like a, um, like a pathos that creeps in there, too. Um, there absolutely is. Like, and I think that um, one of my favorite things to do is to use Mars as a tool for 
um, and you sort of like collaborative work group, like you see what other people's Marses are and, and it's like, oh, okay, well, that's why they decided to go about doing this project that way. And I think that um, Mars and Pisces folks, because like you mentioned, and I had never actually put those words to it before. I think it's really lovely, like being moved to act by the suffering of others and wanting to make people feel, you know, healed and held and safe. Um, it can lean more on pathos. And so some other folks, maybe like, let's just say, Mars and Aquarius or something, they mm -hmm. might not understand um, the more emotional angle um, if they're wanting like the hard science facts, right? Mm -hmm. mm, mm -mm. Um, another thing about it that I thought was really interesting that you mentioned was that you noticed that your Mars was almost in the retrograde shadow when we were born. And then mine is precisely stationary. It's just like hanging Ooh. out. Yeah, um, and that was that was interesting because somehow I never caught I never caught that and like it wasn't until I saw your chart and I was like, "Oh, you were born in the fall in the same year as me." And we still yep. have and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> it's really cool. There's there's similar stuff but also a lot a lot of differences and um I've definitely I've been fascinated to see where those things align. Um, for for Mars retrograde stuff, I'm curious, what do you think about this upcoming Mars retrograde in Gemini? Have you given it any thought? Are you letting that be way out in like Q3, 4? <laughs> um, well, I think like the, I was kind of, at first I was like, well, at least it's not the Mars retrograde we had in 2020. But then I noticed that it was stationing right on the degree of my Mercury, which is like, also triggering like oh. my entire malefic t-square i was like hmm <laughs> i don't know if i'm happy about that for me um but in general um i'm kind of thinking about like the association between mars and gemini and the nine of swords and tarot um mm -hmm. and so i'm wondering because especially because there's going to be that squared in neptune the whole time like i'm wondering if there's going to be just kind of like um just like dealing with anxiety and like uncertainty um mm -hmm. mars and gemini also has like an online troll type of quality in my mind i was thinking about that too yeah definitely online troll definitely um picking fights just for the chaos um, yeah. <laughs> a little bit but what mm -hmm. i'm hoping though is that for all of us creators and writers like we can just sequester a little bit and use that to edit work maybe or like put a new creative spin on something like cut out what cut out what isn't working artistically but yeah. it, i think it will have an edge like it always has an edge <laughs> definitely but yeah i mean i guess if we're going to look at like maybe the more positive or productive side of it um i think of mars and gemini as wanting to go off on like a lot of side quests too like wanting to kind of <gasps> scatter yourself in a lot of directions um, that is brilliant <laughs> are you um, a gamer do you play video games not really Okay, never mind. I was gonna say maybe if you play Elder Scrolls, like this is when you go off and like join the Thieves Guild and the Dark Brotherhood and do all the side things instead of yeah. the main quest. That's excellent. Yeah, but there is that kind of um, just you know being so excited and inspired that you just want to do all of the things. Um, <sighs> and then with the Square to Neptune, it's kind of like maybe um, maybe like you lose steam because you're too spread thin or you just have to kind of like wade through that confusion until you um, clarify what exactly you're trying to do. I love this delineation. This is the one I'm picking. I'm going <laughs> to skip past like the possible yes. tech issues and online trolls and we're going on a side quest, everybody. You heard it here first. Um, since we're talking about Pisces, I did want to ask, as I wrote down, are you ready for the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction to activate our Mars and Pisces? And in I, general, uh, I know you have some really beautiful thoughts on that. Do you want to share a little bit on Jupiter and Neptune and vibes? There's a lot of vibe shifting going on this week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially now that we have the sun in Pisces. Um, I know. Do you mean like Jupiter, Neptune in general, or like what I think will happen when it conjoins our Mars? Yeah, um, both. A little mm. bit of both. I definitely see it as kind of like the restoration of um, faith after, you know, like a really long, oh, dry, lovely. fallow season. Um, 
is, you know, we just, we just made it through this really long Saturnian winter um, mm -hmm. with Jupiter going through Saturn signs. Um, and so I think that like at this point, maybe a lot of people are feeling like um, they're not sure how to like, you know, expect good things to happen in the future again. Like they're, they're yeah. looking for something, but it's kind of hard. Um, and so there's this kind of like maybe opening that the Jupiter Neptune conjunction might be bringing um, sort of like the way I imagine, um, you know, you have like a forest that burns down and then it rains for a really long time after that happens. And like, you thought that new life wasn't going to be possible again, and then it still comes. Absolutely. That's really, really lovely. And I think absolutely right. I loved what you said about it has been the long Saturnian winter. And the nerd in me immediately thinks about Game of Thrones anytime someone says winter. And so <laughs> I've been thinking of the Jupiter Neptune conjunction as a dream of spring. Like, hmm. you know, maybe it isn't everything isn't perfect yet we still have a lot of rebuilding to do but it it feels safe to do a little bit more of that dreaming again right yeah and it also i just i just thought of like um i remember when i was doing my like 2022 year head forecast someone on twitter like not even like associated or thinking about astrology said something like along the lines of I don't care how unrealistic it sounds. I'm accomplishing it in 2022. And I was like, that is what Jupiter is doing. Oh my gosh. Incredible. Because, <laughs> because you have that Jupiter Neptune conjunction and then it goes into Aries and you know, it immediately like meets Mars. So mm. it's, it's, it's like that combination of like, I know that like, I'm not being realistic, but I'm going to just make it happen anyway. Um, and it's that kind of, you know, yeah, like it's not necessarily guaranteeing a specific result, but um, it is kind of like motivating people to go for something that they may not have felt was within um, that they may that that they might not have attempted to achieve before. Absolutely, I think that's such a a valuable thing too, and I especially. Um, I love hearing you say that because I one thing that I've struggled with in astrology lately is I do feel like out of an abundance of caution that is really, really well intentioned. There's a lot of folks who it's almost like people don't want to imagine good things. And like I said, I completely understand after a Saturn Pluto conjunction, everything in Capricorn and that gnarly um, Mars retrograde back in 2020, we've all been extremely burned and it's been so hard. But yeah, it's so hopeful. It is. And also, yeah, to kind of um, to kind of add to that, I think I am someone who is naturally predisposed to want to be optimistic about things. And I think that like over the last couple of years, I've been continually like, yeah, maybe this won't be so bad. And then like all of my Saturnian friends were right. <laughs> and so it's almost like this this period of time has um, has kind of um, made me like unsure of my own natural instincts because my instinct is to want to just assume that things might be better than we think um mm, i think that's that's a good um it's a good point about wanting to find the balance and it can be really hard when essentially when bad things happen to not fall into that kind of like despair and doubt about what if my intuition was wrong like we all make those mistakes but i think maybe also i was gonna say do you think that that tendency comes from sincerely Libra rising having that like benefic ruled ascendant because i definitely lean towards that optimism and i'm sagittarius rising but i also have um saturn in the first house and mm. so i feel like i can marry both of like okay I really want good things to happen, but there's a good chance that something weird will come in and throw us a curveball. So like, let's be practical and plan ahead, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I think a lot of it also, you know, I do feel like it's important to try to like, yeah, I mean, the obviously Libra Rising wants a balanced perspective, but a lot mm -hmm. of it also comes from a sense of responsibility to the people who are reading what I'm putting out there, you know, because on one hand, like, I don't want to just be like, um, you know, because I think that like excessive negativity is its own form of delusion. Um, and I yes, think you, you were, you said this so well in a recent episode about, um, you know, people who, um, 
tend to only favor this kind of cynical outlook that like if that's what you're looking for it's what you're going to see and it's what you're going to experience um but at the same time i think i'm also just wary of promising that things are going to be better and then like things are not better um yeah I so think, i think go ahead yeah, sorry no what were you gonna say i was gonna say that i worry about that so much too in consultation um because it, you know what it is. I, I always think about like, let's just say, for example, the Neptune transit client, right? And they're like, I have Neptune in my 10th house and I figured it out. I'm going to quit my job. I don't have a backup plan. I'm going <laughs> to leave behind everything. And they, they don't have any sort of basis in material reality for that plan, right? And so I think the real beauty in astrology is being able to sort of I don't know what is it forewarned is forearmed right to say like okay mm -hmm. like i understand that you're feeling that and you definitely need a career change but like hold on can we talk about let's talk about your second house oh that's right okay so you have like let's just imagine like uh capricorn in the second house Ooh, okay do you have any cash squirreled away in your bank account like you know what's your <laughs> steady client income that kind of thing you know i think um yeah, I, one thing that I love about your um, your mutable placements and mutability in general is its ability to hold those multitudes together. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That like life isn't one thing or the other. Like life isn't positive or negative, and neither is astrology. Like it's all neutral. Which I feel yeah. like it's a Libra rising sentiment too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And I mean, absolutely. Um, I feel like with my Gemini stuff um, in general, like I have a hard time seeing things purely in black and white. Like it's always just, everything's just a different shade of gray. Mm -hmm. And it's often like, you know, the thing I say, I find myself saying often and over and over again is just that like more than one thing can be true at the same time. Oh, absolutely. That's what I'm, I'm obsessed with that idea. Maybe a little bit too much. Um, the grand mutable cross goes off sometimes yes. but yeah we both have like this um mutable clusterfuck in our charts that i love <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to talk to someone else who could potentially like understand what that's like because i feel like i don't know it's very unique it's very different i've not talked to anybody else who gets it but i feel mm -hmm. like what exactly what you're saying like the um the sort of liminality of language and all of that like you truly and deeply get it mm -hmm. Um, so I'm thinking about, can we talk a little bit about Venus and Mars? Cause I know that you mentioned we were, we were eyeing the, seems like eons long conjunction between mm -hmm. Venus and Mars that's happening. Um, and it's sort of really unique for it to go on that long. I want to hear, how are you feeling about this? How have you been experiencing it? And sort of like what archetypes or stories have helped you to, yeah conceptualize this super spicy energy it's like the hot ones of astrology i think yeah yeah no um it's definitely such an unusual and compelling feature of this year's astrology um and I, interestingly enough i've been kind of um meditating on some of these themes through the lens of pop culture and like tv mm -hmm. um so when you know, back in like November, December, when we were sort of gearing up for the first part of the Venus retrograde, that was when, you know, the, I feel like that initial phase was like in the very like Venus Pluto part of it. Yes. I was basically watching all of Twin Peaks from start to finish. Um, and then it turned out, you know, after I was done, I looked up um, the chart of David Lynch and it turns out he has venus at 26 degrees of capricorn which is the degree where <gasps> venus stationed oh my gosh amazing yeah. yes so it was like this weird um weird sense of like you know this whole like archetype is being mediated to me through the artistic expression of someone who like embodies that i um, am obsessed with this idea i love when you sort of feel i don't know how to describe this the mars and pisces uh vibes are coming out for sure like you feel just generally drawn to someone's art someone's 
energy, whatever aesthetic they're putting out. And then you realize it's somehow activated by transit or is in your chart too. This is like the, Oh yeah. I mean, I kind of just assumed that was something that everyone experienced, but I, okay. Maybe it is good. Maybe. I don't know. Um, (laughs) it'd be interesting to hear from others, but like, I feel like sometimes whatever I'm reading or whatever I'm watching or whatever I'm consuming has a way of like telling me something about the transits I'm having or like the, astrology that's happening in the sky at the time hmm. um but yeah no i feel like twin peaks is such a venus pluto story itself too because i almost it it seems like another iteration of the original persephone myth where persephone gets kidnapped by hades you know uh, you know i don't i'm not going to assume that everyone listening has watched it but basically it's like a murder mystery drama where like a homecoming queen is found washed up on the riverbank. And then like the whole series is just about like, you know, this FBI agent um, becomes, you know, devoted to finding out who killed her. But then um, it kind of spirals out from there. Like that is sort of like the central tension of the whole story. Um, But then you end up kind of getting into just like the lives of the people in the small town who also have these kinds of Venus Pluto relationships with each other in different ways. Um, so have you seen it? I have not. I know it's so wild. My friends have encouraged me to see it so many times. It's one of those things that's just missed me, but it is mm. on my to watch list. Yeah. I mean, if it, if you need, if you have a lot of time, you need to go. Um, okay. <laughs> I will put, I will put it up to the top of the list. I'm almost, well, I just finished a show. Um, and so I'm ready for a new one. It'll mm. have to be Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was just kind of interesting. Um, you know, because I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but there's all these like supernatural elements to the show. And um, he, you know, this agent, Agent Cooper ends up kind of like following this dead girl into this other dimension <laughs> to Whoa, rescue her, okay. to try to rescue her. And so there's this other weird element of like, you know, in some ways, Laura Palmer also kidnaps Agent Cooper. Um, oh, and so wow. they are bonded together in this way that sort of transcends dimensions and time. Um, and what's also kind of interesting is that, like, you know, we do find out the killer eventually, but like in the original um, season, David Lynch didn't want the mystery to be solved. Like he wanted there to be an element of unknown to provide mm-hmm. the tension. And so I think that there's something also in that in like that kind of um says something about what the venus pluto conjunction is yeah i completely completely agree and it's been fascinating just to hear you sort of give a synopsis of the story like i i sort of knew what it was about but it almost sounds like a mad libs of venus and pluto um significations right mm-hmm. you're like okay homecoming queen or like prom queen and fbi agent right like <laughs> And this like weird evil, this weird evil like um, supernatural demon force too. (laughs) Oh, I love this. Um, It's it it fits all the boxes of something that I will quickly become obsessed with. So thank you so much for the wreck. And I know all Mm -hmm. my friends listening are like Amelia. What's your problem? Just like watch Twin Peaks. Yeah. the show that I um, kind of most associated with Venus conjunct Pluto was the second season of The Witcher that came out. I loved mm-hmm. the first season. It was so magical. It came out. Um, I don't remember when it came out, but I just I immediately fell in love with the sort of fantasy world of it. And then this season was different, right? Mm-hmm. The Witcher is sort of a very sexy fantasy show. Um, it's beautiful, it's deep, it's great. Um, but the Pluto aspect really, really came through as suddenly, you know, it used to be a little bit more playful and then all of a sudden it was like, no, everything is serious, people are dying, um, there's dark magic happening. And I don't know, it, it really reflected I think the way things felt at the time, too, I know a lot of folks were going through really, really difficult experiences. And then, of course, it would have been filmed during the pandemic. And so I think that that tension shown through as well. It was just yeah. rough. Venus conjunct Pluto is rough, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, that's also oh. I, I never I never saw that. So maybe I will have to watch that as well. 
I strongly, strongly encourage it. I think it's fantastic. Um, so when we talk about Venus and Mars, um, I'm curious about this because I've been, been thinking about it and I don't know, I don't know what I think. Um, when we, Venus and Mars, you know, we have a benefic with a malefic. And when they're conjunct, like what, what is that? You know, like how do mm -hmm. you see that energy playing out? I was thinking that in some ways it isn't unlike the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that we mm. had a while back. You know, it's like you're yeah. offered something good with one hand, but there's like limitations or restrictions or delays on it. How mm -hmm. have you seen that playing out with your experience of it? Well, Venus and Mars are especially interesting. Um, even I guess the way that um, I see that as being even different from the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is that Venus and Mars are opposites, right? Because mm -hmm. they rule opposite signs. Um, and so they're, it's kind of like reconciling opposites of the same polarity. So like I see Venus as being about what we agree with versus Mars, what we're willing to be disagreeable for. Um, Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Um, and so I've been doing a lot of thinking about this because the Venus Mars conjunction is this like really, um, really compelling aspect. And I feel like I agree with you. It's kind of um, like it, it's it's like, yeah, like we understand like basic textbook delineation, like horny sex. Yep. <laughs> great. <laughs> but there's something there's something kind of compelling about it that like it's it's sort of hard to kind of completely wrap your mind around, right? And I think it's um, because I, I see it as a lot about um, having to do with the spark, the spark mm -hmm. that people talk about in like romantic relationships, but also like just in life in general. Um, you know, people, people also like use the word passion to describe this um, aspect a lot. And I, I agree, but it's also, I think that passion is one of those words that has become kind of flattened with overuse. Like, what does it actually mean to have passion? Right. Um, it's and like I, energy or, I don't know, yeah. anything you would put on a resume, resume at this point. <laughs> Synergy. <laughs> it's like an animating life force. But I actually, you know, maybe this is my Gemini, but I looked up the etymology of the word passion. Um, and what's interesting is that the word itself comes from a Latin root word that means to suffer. <laughs> um, right, like the passion of the Jesus Christ, Christ right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, originally it meant that. And I think that the sexual connotations came about later. Um, but I think that there's something there because, like, when you think about, like, you know, Buddhism, there's this connection between desire and suffering. Um and to me, I think I think that that's kind of like something that I could sit with for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. To desire is to suffer, which doesn't necessarily mean that we shouldn't have desire or that we shouldn't suffer. Um, but I, I think I think the Venus Mars part of it is just that, like, you know, I see it as about being hot and bothered. Um, you know, because mm -hmm. at one point, I, on one hand, you're kind of you're engaged, you're turned on, um, you're getting, you're, you know, you're, you're enjoying the experience, but it's also kind of like leaving you sort of, um, discontent. Uh, yes. a little frazzled, right? Like a little bit, like, it's not peaceful. It's not calm. Um, so yeah. What do you think about that? I love that you bring up the etym first of all that you brought up the etymology of the word uh, passion. That's mm -hmm. fantastic, and I'm gonna be sitting with the um, the desire slash suffering access idea for a while. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it. Yeah, one thing that I've been thinking about with the Venus Mars conjunction is I feel like you know. Um, especially love astrology, like you mentioned, it's like, oh, well, it's lust, it's um, pleasure and pain and so mm. on and so forth. But I've, I've experienced it multiple times where it was related to heartbreak of some, some kind, depending on where it landed, like maybe like mm. a professional heartbreak, like maybe a friendship heartbreak, um, depending on the house. But I think um, I've sort of been seeing it as, you know, Mars can be the severing action. And so, you know, in order to make space for stuff 
and people and experiences that you actually love, you might have to cut out something and that will inflict some kind of pain, mm. right? Um, I've seen that happen. And I think it'll be different for everybody based on the aspects, but um, yeah. I've, always, I've always been a little like personally leery of it just because of that experience of, um, it might also be because I'm a day chart and it's Mars, you know? So. Interesting. But yeah, heartbreak could be it, but I think it, it can be also that feeling of like, it, it really makes me think of eating spicy wings. I just, I love spicy food, you know, like especially the like Indian food. I don't get it. The hottest available spice. And I'm sitting there, it's like sweating and in intense pain. I'm like, oh, this feels so good. Um, and I think on the positive side, it can be like that, like testing your tolerance for how much pleasure you can experience, mm. right? Um, and so being willing to expand those limits too. I'm into it. Yeah. I, I mean, when you, when you talk about heartbreak, what makes me, um, what that makes me think of is how in mythology, like the Venus and Mars relationship was, um, was an affair, right? Because Venus yeah. was married to someone else and it was basically like this scandal, right? So totally maybe like what that's describing that kind of spark that kind of intensity is about like feeling it's about feeling drawn to something that doesn't feel completely allowed or doesn't feel completely um like i don't want to say safe because then that makes it sound like you're putting yourself in unsafe situations and i don't think that that's what this has to be about right. but it's it's not about like feeling drawn to something that's completely comfortable and familiar and routine and um yeah there's something trend. I actually want to, um, um, yeah, when I say transgressive, it makes me think of, um, in the February, 2022 astrology podcast, uh, Patrick Watson and Austin Kopic were talking about people with the Venus Mars conjunction in their charts. Yes. And did you listen to that? I I did not, but I was looking at some folks that had it as a way to kind of like better understand it. That's usually my first line is like, okay, the keywords aren't making sense. The mythology isn't making sense. Like, let's get some folks that actually have this. So I'm really curious, like what, what it was or who it was that they brought forth. So ba yeah, basically this is like the sex pest signature, right? Oh God. <laughs> Because, okay, I, you know, for anyone who's listening who has this, obviously there are a ton of people with this right. aspect who are not, not a sexual predator. And <laughs> but it is worth mentioning that a lot of people who end up in these kinds of like, um, these kinds of like scandals and situations, like the, it does seem to be a theme. So Prince Andrew has it, Jeffrey Epstein has it, Elliot Spitzer, Anthony Weiner, um, Oh, geez. That's yeah. a lot of them. There's a whole lot. <laughs> there's, some, there's something to that, right? Um, Absolutely. And so, yeah, Patrick was describing this as being about, like, sexual and social transgressions. Um, so okay. it's, like, kind of, like, going beyond what's considered socially acceptable. Okay. So hear me out. Um, when I was researching this... I immediately looked up Venus conjunct Mars and Capricorn because I also wanted to see like what what happens when the Mars is exalted and that kind of takes precedence or maybe like speaks louder, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the two people that I found were The Weeknd mm. and Bjork. Um, and I love that The Weeknd has Venus conjunct Mars in Capricorn because I feel like so much of his music, especially the early mixtapes, has that kind of like extremely edgy, transgressive, like lurid pop songs, you know, mm -hmm. and then Bjork is that kind of like spooky, sexy um, beauty on a knife's edge thing. And I was even Ooh, thinking about I it as being... Yeah, I, I made a little playlist that had like, think about these for Venus and Mars and Capricorn, like the weekend earned it. Um, and then for Bjork, pagan poetry and big time sensuality um, and violently happy too. Wow. It's so good. Wow. This is how astrologers spend their time, y'all. It's just yeah. like going down internet rabbit holes forever Absolutely. and it never ends. Or just like watching something on Netflix and then immediately just like looking up everyone's birth chart. Um, 
Yeah, no, actually with the Venus-Mars conjunction, I went from watching Twin Peaks to watching all of Sex in the City from start to finish. <laughs> because Was it I, the first time that you had watched it? I mean, I'd seen like the straight episode here and there growing up, but I was never like a person okay. who watched that show. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to watch all of it. What start. did you think? What are your Venus, Mars, Pluto takeaways? <laughs> well, it was definitely very, um, very kind of, um, I think Sex in the City is at its core, like a Venus, Mars show because, sure. so here's another, uh, here's another famous chart that has a Venus, Mars conjunction, the chart of New York City. New York City actually has Venus oh, and Mars exactly conjunct at the 29th degree of Sagittarius. Um, wow. And so are you ready for this? I want to give I'm a ready. shout out to um, Margaret on Twitter. I'm not sure what her last name is, but she's Mad Marg. Um, okay. When I tweeted about this, she was just like, oh, like, is there any sinistry with the premiere of the show? And it turns out that the ascendant for the premiere is conjunct New York City's Venus Mars conjunction. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so when I was watching it, I like there were a couple of quotes that stood out to me that I like had to write down because, you know, there's this blog post that's trying to come out of me. But <laughs> in one of the <laughs> earlier episodes, Carrie says that New York City is all about sex, people getting it, people trying to get it, people who can't get it. No wonder the city never sleeps. It's too busy trying to get laid. <laughs> Wow. Oh I my know. God. It's described Venus conjunct Mars. That's incredible. It's the restlessness, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, okay. So I watched Inventing Anna recently too. I haven't watched that yet, but it is on my radar. Yeah, no, it's just a, kind of like another show that sort of gets at this inherent, um, like, inability to sit still that like you know this is the thing about new york city that's kind of trying to be described by all of this but um neff says everyone here is running a game everyone here needs to score everyone here is hustling everyone here wants something money power image love um so i feel like these are kind of two ways of sort of describing the same quality um I completely agree. Yeah, of that kind of like the discomfort of desiring something or someone. Yes. yes. Um, Incredible. And it kind of makes me think of just like, you know, we think that we want to feel satisfied, but maybe we really don't. Because what happens when you finally get what you want? You immediately yeah. just become kind of bored and discontent. Like, it's like you, we're not, we're not good at. <laughs> being peaceful people i don't think so and i think you're absolutely right there's always that um i don't know it's sort of like the post-show feeling down where you're like i did the big thing or you know you accomplished something big and then you have that moment of ennui but i actually like those moments because it's like a, if you're feeling that dissatisfaction mm -hmm. then I don't know. I think about this with Jupiter, right? Like, because sometimes Jupiter transits can come with a sense of dissatisfaction because mm. you're like, I could have so much more. I could be so much more. Right. Because right? you're you're lo you're kind of tapped into the potential and not mm -hmm. what's actually there. Totally. You just mentioned, um, did you say 29 degrees Sagittarius it mm -hmm. was in New York's chart? Um, I was thinking about like the late, late, late degrees of Sagittarius because you and I at different times in the year, but I saw that we both have Saturn exactly conjunct Uranus in Sagittarius mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. 28 degrees. I don't know anybody else that has that, which is super cool. Um, how have you experienced that kind of in your relationship to structure and freedom? And maybe has it helped you with the Saturn Uranus square at all? Hmm. God, I don't think I have like a ready answer for that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, the Saturn Uranus, um, I have a hard time completely separating that from like the rest of my T-square. Um, I see, of course. But I do think that it has a lot to do with like, um, you know, maybe kind of tied in with being Libra rising, like holding back and then just kind of like, you know, having, you know, the sort of like with like the holding back from saying the thing and then kind of having a sudden outburst because you can't hold back anymore. 
So it's that kind of like being in a holding pattern that and like and then finding like a sudden sudden liberation from the holding pattern. Okay, yeah, I you know what I can totally see that and having in my first house that's definitely the case. I'll hold back and hold back and hold back and then something a creative work or like a comment of some kind will just explode forth as like a like a lightning rod mm -hmm. um, for good or for bad. I think that's definitely part of the way. Um, go ahead. Oh no, yeah. Um, I was also gonna say that I feel like it has a lot to do with wanting to kind of ground my more out there ideas in sort of like a logical basis or a common sense. So like, I guess at least when I was starting out, I felt this need to um, sort of present astrology in a way that like a skeptic might find like not valid necessarily, but like that they, that they could kind of like, you know, not immediately shut it down. Like I, hmm. I don't feel that way anymore necessarily. But at least when I was starting out, I did feel like, you know, if I was going to be Uranian, that I needed to be a little Saturnian too. I see. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And thank you for sharing that. I think because I think that's something that so many people, whether they're astrological practitioners or just people who have a huge enthusiasm for astrology, really struggle with. Right. Because I saw Chris Brennan tweeted recently. It was like astrology. It works even though it shouldn't or something like that. It doesn't <laughs> yep. make sense. Um, and, and I completely agree with that. And I feel like part of my guiding force is like trying to ground those ideas with potentially like historical precedent or fact without limiting the wild and free nature of them that sort of resists both tradition and making sense. You know, mm -hmm. I love it. Um, so I know we've talked a lot about your astrology and thank you so much for indulging me. You have such a fascinating chart and this has been absolutely a blast. But so do you. I want to ask you, so when you're not astrologizing, which I know you probably do astrology a lot because we all do, what do you love to do? Like, what are you obsessed with right now? And does that show up in your natal chart at all? Um, well, I wouldn't say that I'm currently very obsessed with it because I've been sort of like, I don't know, I think the pandemic really took some of the wind out of the sails, but um, sure. I have loved dancing my entire life. I've always <gasps> been such a dancer. Um, like you can even see like videos of me when I was like four or five, just always dancing. Um, so, I'm so jealous. That's so cool. <laughs> no one wants to see me dance, I promise. Oh. Yeah. I also love food, I guess. Oh my Making God, it, I was going to ask it. you about food. Okay. Really? So, yeah, actually, yes. So I'm working on an episode behind the scenes right now, and it's a series on vocational astrology. Um, and I was specifically looking at like pro bakers and chefs and trying to figure out like what placements are really common among them. And the thing that came up in almost everybody was having Mars, or I'm sorry, uh, the moon in Taurus and yeah. or um, the moon co-present or conjunct Jupiter, which you also have. So I was like, are you an amazing cook or do you just love food? Um, I don't, you know, okay. I should say that like, I'm at a point in my life right now where like, I'm a single person living alone and I just kind of had to make peace with the fact that it's better for me right now to just find a way to like have like prepared meals delivered and like free up that energy and time to do other things. But there I really is nothing wrong with that. I'm so I really, really, really like of all of the chores that I could have freed up for myself. Like I really like going to the grocery store. I really like making food. I really like feeding people. Um, you know, I was there was like a point when I was in my early 20s when like I moved back in with my parents for a few months and I had a lot of time to kill because I was, you know, applying for jobs. Um, but like the way that I would fill up an entire day is I would just like come up with this elaborate four course meal and spend all day making it. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, like that is truly iconic. They are like, I have all this time. Let me make a four course meal. That's the exalted moon y'all. Like that's what that looks like. Couldn't be me. Um, but we need people to feed us. I'm so glad you exist. Oh, <laughs> 
Okay, um, I am bringing back the lightning round to Bad Astro this season, and so if you are ready, I want to ask you a couple of rapid-fire Astro questions, and okay. just share the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, okay. it's like not hard, it should be um, just totally off the cuff, whatever your vibe is. Okay, first one, do you have a favorite planet? Mm, I mean, yeah, Venus. I knew it. <laughs> Venusian people How could I always not? say How could Venus. I, <laughs> I love it. I, I think that's fantastic. Um, okay, favorite zodiac sign to party with? Ooh. Oh, God. Okay. Um, Aquarius, probably, because it's my fifth house. <gasps> Brilliant. Yes, and Aquarius people are universally fantastic. Like, I don't understand them. They are so different from me, and that's what I love about them. Okay, sign that frustrates you the most. Mm. I mean, I guess of like all of the signs, like the kinds of, um, yeah. I mean, I just wanna say that this doesn't mean that like I, I haven't had like good and successful relationships with people who have <laughs> placements in this sign, but some of my like early, like most frustrating, like we just don't understand each other types of dynamics um, happen with people with like Sun and Sagittarius or like Sagittarius placements. Interesting. Just... Okay. I could see that. Um, because does that activate your T-square? Yeah. I mean, my, my Saturn's there. It's, you know, opposing my Venus and Mercury. Um, I guess if we're just going purely on the basis of like sun sign to sun sign, it's like the in conjunct. Yeah, and that can always be weird. It's always like, I see you, but I don't understand it at all. Like, I respect <laughs> the hustle, but we're riding very different waves. Okay, on the flip side, what zodiac sign do you find yourself most drawn to? Like a magnet. Hmm. Yeah. Again, it's like, I feel like it's it's easier to say this for like specific placements, but... We can do a placement. Um... I do seem to be drawn to people with Gemini placements and water placements. And um, for some reason, people with Scorpio moons just keep finding me over and over and over again. And I think it's the oh moon, my gosh. moon opposition. Me too. Really? Maybe. Oh, that's, I think they're also like they themselves, they have their own center of gravity. They're like a human tractor beam <laughs> um, in the best possible way. And you're just like drawn into their orbit. I, I'm obsessed. Yeah. Um, I feel like we covered this a lot in what we talked about, but I'm still going to ask, is there any sort of celebrity chart or like specific natal chart that you keep coming back to that you're like this, this one I'm stuck on. I'm so fascinated. Huh? A celebrity chart. Who? I know that there have been like a couple that I found really compelling recently um i think billy holiday has a really interesting chart um I her chart. yeah i i don't like really just recall it off the top of my head but she has this really amazing um venus and pisces um mm. who else lately oh well most recently i was fascinated by Anna Delvey slash Sorokin, who is the, the person at the center of inventing Anna. Um, oh my goodness. And so I kind of tried to rectify her chart or at least, you know, made an educated guess as to what I think her ascendant would be. <gasps> what and do you think? I think she's a Capricorn rising. I could completely see that. Yeah. With Neptune, like the, she has like a Mercury Uranus mm -hmm. Neptune. Um, so that Whoa. would put that on the ascendant. Amazing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because the um, the Capricorn rising is here to hustle, but like having Neptune there, like besides the obvious delineation of scammer, like it's just it's hard to get your mind around. Like it's very slippery. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of this. Thank you for doing my lightning round. I have one last question for you, um, which is for all the listeners. I'm curious, what do you wish that you knew when you first started out as an astrologer? Ooh. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. 
I think maybe I wish that like I just had a better sense that doing client work is its own form of instruction and that, um, you know, it's okay if you don't have all of the answers before you meet with the client. Because a lot of times when you're in dialogue with someone, um, it ends up being this process of co-creation. Um, and obviously the longer you do it, the more, um, the more you have your own sort of like individual experience with how placements act in real people. Mm. That's a beautiful, beautiful place to end. Yeah, you don't have to have it all figured out ahead of time in consultation or in life. And mm -hmm. I, I've had so much fun today. I feel like the best parts are when it's when it's not planned out. So thank you for going on this wild, mutable journey with me. And <laughs> I hope you have a beautiful Saturn day. You too. Thanks so much for inviting me on here.